Cerebral is an online mental health service that offers prescription medication, counseling, and therapy for anxiety, depression, ADHD, insomnia, and more. Cerebral is one of the few services that provides prescription medication online through a licensed provider and ships medication straight to your door. You can schedule sessions based on what's most convenient for you, and you don't have to wait weeks to be seen. And BuzzFeed Daily listeners can receive 65% off your first month of medication management and care counseling at Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed. Go to Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed for 65% off your first month. Join Cerebral today on their mission to make quality mental health care accessible and affordable for all. I haven't really woken up until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Conquer your New Year's resolutions with the Before Breakfast podcast. In each bite-sized daily episode, you'll learn how to make the most of your time with practical tools to help you feel less busy and get more done. Listen to Before Breakfast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Jeanette McCurdy opened up about her abusive mother in her one-woman show. Rapper Boozy Badass targeted Lil Nas X in an anti-gay rant. And today we're talking with neuropsychologist Dr. Judy Ho about the Netflix series You and why people become so enamored with sociopaths. It's October 25th, 2021. Hey friends, I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Shyla Watson. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. Okay, so Casey, we've got a a heavier show today, but there is some good news that I want to talk about, which is Meadow Walker, Paul Walker's daughter, got married over the weekend. And, you know, Paul Walker tragically died in a car accident about eight years ago, but his co-star from The Fast and the Furious, Vin Diesel, walked Meadow down the aisle and she shared photos and... Oh, I'm just like so teary about it. Shyla, I've only ever seen one one of those car movies. And That's one more than me. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was going to assume you hadn't seen the movies either. No, but no, I did watch the first Fast and Furious and I was like, okay, I'm going to watch the rest of them. But I know little to nothing about it. But when I tell you the rabbit hole I went down after I saw that photo, I just love that Vin Diesel just like really took her Meadow in as one of his own. She's really close with his daughters too. And yeah, because of all that love, I will agree ignore the fact that she got married at age 22. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. But the one thing I know about Fast and the Furious, aside from cars, is that it's about family. <laughs> I always thought it was like, I don't know, some mafia family type deal. Maybe it is a car mafia. But anyway, I'm glad that this is on theme. <laughs> yes. All right. So shifting to a slightly heavier topic, iCarly star Jeanette McCurdy recently talked with People Magazine about her new one woman show, I'm Glad My Mom Died. Jeanette said, quote, my mom's emotions were so erratic that it was like walking a tightrope every day. The mood fluctuations were daily and that her mom, who passed away in 2013, projected her own dreams of stardom onto Jeanette. She also revealed that her mom taught her to count calories. And by the time she started on iCarly, she had anorexia, which shifted to binge eating, followed by bulimia. Jeanette said, quote, I know if my mom were alive, I'd still have an eating disorder. She also said that when she was 17, her mother allegedly would perform vaginal and breast exams and wouldn't let her shower alone. I mean, everything that she's saying right now, that is just deeply awful. 
and heavy. And I'm so sorry she went through that. Um, I'm glad she's able to find a space to talk about it. But wow. Yeah, that is really shocking. I never watched iCarly, but I knew who she was, of course, or who she is. And I just, you know, you never know what someone's going through, like behind closed doors. This is really shocking. Well, moving on, after Lil Nas X went on Instagram Live and joked about collaborating with rapper Boozy Badass, Boozy posted an anti-gay tweet telling Lil Nas X to stop trolling him. We will not read the tweet here because, frankly, it's disgusting, but it uses anti-gay language and mentions suicide. This isn't the first time Boozy has gotten backlash for his anti-LGBTQ views. Last year, during an appearance on Mike Tyson's podcast, he went on an anti-trans rant about Dwayne Wade's daughter, Zaya. Yeah, I read about this over the weekend, of course, and I went back and looked at that Mike Tyson interview that he had done on the podcast. And Mike Tyson said, like, who are we to talk about anyone else's life? And I would just like to reiterate that. <laughs> and it's just it was so nasty and and just really offensive. And it was it was horrible. And I'm glad that Lil Nas X, like, I don't want to say he made a joke about it, but he tweeted about Halloween Town as a response to Boozy's comments. And I like that he was able to just let it roll off of him. But I'm sure that some of this stuff gets to him every once in a while. And if not to him, to all of the fans who are reading this. Yeah. And, you know, we do talk about Lil Nas X a lot and how it's so great and so powerful that he has come out as a gay man. And I think like we talk about like props to him and stuff like that, but we also can't let his ability to like be humorous and handle this. Like we can't let it let us forget that he is up against a lot. There are still so many people who are anti-gay. So many people. And so it's just like in the rap industry. Yes. And so it's like we all as his fans need to be there with him because we don't want him to go through it alone. A hundred percent. All right, so moving on, season three of You dropped a couple of weeks ago, and it feels like the entire internet binged it immediately. I don't know what it is, but people are still so obsessed with the hot murderer named Joe. I mean, we already know Cardi B is obsessed with him. So we wanted to sit down with an actual forensic neuropsychologist to find out why people become enamored with killers. Joining us today is Dr. Judy Ho, who will help us shine some light on murderers like Joe. Hi, Dr. Judy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, so nice to be with you both. Hi, Casey. Hi, Shyla. Hi. Oh, we are ready to talk about you and Joe because this is just a wild topic because we're on the third season of it and we're seeing the same thing happen again. So first off, I'd love to get a psychologist's point of view on this. In the show, Joe has never been formally diagnosed. The words psychopath and sociopath tend to get thrown around when talking about him on social media. But based on what you've seen, is there a diagnosis you'd be comfortable giving him? Well, given that Joe is a fictional character, I definitely can give you a diagnosis as a real person, I would say, look, I haven't met him, you know, I haven't evaluated him myself, but I can see the type of persona that Joe is being created on. And I would say that there are several aspects of the creation of this persona that I think would be very familiar to clinicians when we're thinking about diagnoses. And so Joe, hands down, this is somebody who has a combination of antisocial personality disorder traits and also borderline personality disorder 
traits. And I think the one that is more prominent is antisocial personality disorder. This is what the layperson commonly refers to as a psychopath or sociopath, but to us psychologists, when we look at someone like this, there is a diagnosis in the DSM, which is basically our diagnostic manual that says this is what happens to a person oftentimes when they've grown up around abuse, when they've grown up neglected, they never received treatment. Now, that's not what happens to every single person who's ever been through abuse, but there's something about that combination of abuse and certain traits or temperaments that the person might be born with, even biological wirings that are off. That combination is what explodes into this type of personality that we sometimes see in serial murders and other types of major criminals. So, you know, over the course of the first three seasons, Joe actually sees two therapists, one on his own in season one and then in couples therapy in season three. Does it strike you as odd that neither of these therapists seem to think there's anything, you know, possibly up with Joe? I mean, like, do you think if he were a real person and you met him out in the wild or even as a patient, you'd be like, hmm, something isn't sitting right with me kind of thing? Or is it because he's not revealing much in these therapy sessions? Well, yeah, first of all, these therapy sessions, you can see that Joe, he's using this as an instrument, as basically a technique to further other events or goals that he has in his life. And so clearly he's not showing up as his authentic self, actually trying to get help. I feel like Tony Soprano was more sincere than him when Tony (laughs) Soprano went to his therapist. But, you know, I, I think it's hard for therapists to sometimes sniff out the antisocial personality or, again, what the layperson calls a psychopath right away because part of the diagnostic criteria is that they're quite charming, at least in a superficial way. And in the beginning, when you don't know them very well, there's a reason why people are drawn to them. They're kind of very magical to a lot of people. They kind of seem like this really interesting character, maybe a smart person, maybe a good looking person, or maybe just an unassuming person. When you look at the history of serial killers and murders, you know, if they weren't exceptionally charming, they were just sort of like ordinary Joes. They seem like people who you would just like to have as a neighbor or a friend. And that's how they get in and do the things that they do. Okay, so ever since season one of the show started streaming on Netflix, people have been you know, for lack of a better word, thirsting over Joe. And I mean, I get it. Penn Badgley is a very good looking guy, but it's kind of alarming that so many fans don't seem to be able to actually separate him from his like the literal murderer that he's playing. Even Penn has sort of scolded them on social media for loving the character so much. So why do you think people are so willing to look past the fact that Joe is, again, a literal murderer? Well, Penn's a great actor, so he's kind of scolding people, but at the same time, it's his great portrayal that makes people see him as this complex individual with lovable traits, right? And I think that that's obviously what the goal is of portraying a character like this. Is they do want the audience to be conflicted, and that's what makes him an interesting character. But I would say that this is sort of like art imitating life, because for a lot of the Again, going back to history, the true and literal murderers and serial killers amongst us, many of them were put together. Many of them seemed like they really kind of could be amazing people who could add to your life in a very positive way. And I think that there's a draw for people when they see somebody like this, they see that maybe they've come from a childhood of abuse or neglect that maybe 
there's something redeeming to them, then maybe they just need to be saved. And so people are looking for that positive trait because it will make them feel better as the audience member who actually is inclined to like Joe, right? What does that say about you that you like somebody who is the serial killer and kind of disregards human life, just kills people willy nilly and doesn't seem to have any empathy. When you yourself as an audience member feels drawn to this character, you are literally trying to justify your own liking of Joe. And I think that that's why people are sort of not able to separate everything out because they're looking for those tiny little redeeming qualities. Oh, but he could be so loving. He only killed people because he loves her so much. <laughs> and you know, oh, it's just dear. a big self-justification process, right? Oh boy. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be right back with more from Dr. Judy about Netflix's You. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Hi, everybody. I'm Rachel Bonetta, and I have my very own podcast called Benched with Bonetta. You kidding me? Woo! I'm just here so I won't get fined. You may know me from Game Day View or Game Day Morning on NFL Network. Basically, any shows with the word game in it, odds are you'll find me there. Every week, I'm going to be talking about all the things I find fascinating about the NFL, like breaking down games, questioning Tom Brady's genetic makeup. It's going to be great. I'm also doing something that has never been done before. I'm opening my DMs. DMs now open. We want to hear from you, fans of the NFL. And when I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. Did you commit a misdemeanor crime when you were 12 and need to tell somebody about it? Please, for the love of Roger Goodell, do not tell me. I can be held accountable. Listen every Tuesday and join me on the bench. Subscribe now and listen to the Benched with Bonetta podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The NFL is back, and the NFL app has you covered. So get ready for football all season long and just tap into the NFL app. NFL, baby, let's make it happen. Just tap in to watch your local and primetime games all season, now through Super Bowl 56. For the end zone, touchdown! Get up-to-the-minute news, videos, highlights, stats, and more on all your favorite teams and rookies to watch. Welcome to the NFL! Download to your mobile device today at nfl.com slash mobile or in your app store. Certain restrictions and data rates may apply. Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Judy about season three of you and why people can't get enough of Joe. So, Dr. Judy, I've seen people talk about how they think Joe has changed for the better over the course of season three. I mean, one person even tweeted, quote, I'm really proud of Joe this season. The only person he murdered was Ryan. And for, <laughs> I'm sorry I'm laughing, but I'm going to continue on. And for the most part, he was really trying to be better. I mean, he literally took Theo to the hospital. Love was the one catching bodies all season. I mean, between this and the flashbacks, we see into the trauma of his childhood, and it almost kind of feels like the show is acting 
actively trying to make Joe seem like a more sympathetic character. And it's been working. I mean, people online seem to be Team Joe instead of Team Love, even though they're both murderers. Do you think them portraying him in this light is irresponsible? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, he is still a person who kills people, even though he's fictional. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I would say this, the way that they're portraying love, I almost feel like she was put in the show and and one of the purposes would be to make Joe look a little better because love seems really brutal herself. Um, So all of a sudden, Joe looks slightly better compared to love at times because love is very manipulative as well. But, you know, I would say that, you know, even if people say, okay, we should criticize the show for being a bit irresponsible and portraying him this way. Again, this is something that we see in real serial murders. And in fact, the people who try to draw out the redeeming qualities of these serial murders tends to be themselves. So if you listen to these confessionals or these audio tapes of their investigations, you will see that a lot of these serial murders from our history will actually essentially make a plea to the public about how they were the abused one. Everyone should feel sorry for them. They only turned into who they turned into because they had a neglectful mom or an abusive dad or whatever the case may be. And I think that the show is really trying to portray these characteristics that we've actually seen through confessionals of real murderers and how they try to justify the things that they've done in their lives. You know, I'm interested in this because we have talked about how, you know, like people watching, they're trying to figure out the reason why they're like, you know, quote unquote, rooting for him, like looking for this hope or these redeeming qualities. How much do you think him being attractive and him being white plays into this? You know, is that something we see too of these people who get these mm, fangirls, for lack of a better word? my gosh. Well, first of all, there's this really weird halo effect that we talk about all the time in social psychology where this happens, especially for heterosexual males, that if they are good looking, then we associate all kinds of positive qualities to them. Like, oh, there must also be smart and competent and nice. And, you know, the list goes on. Interestingly, the effect is not really that way for heterosexual cisgender females. The research that is done has shown that if a female is attractive, people sometimes actually attribute a mixed bag of qualities to them. Like, oh, if she's so pretty, she must not be so smart. She must not have a good job. So, you know, that's says something about our cultural expectations of men and women who are attractive, right? But I think above and beyond that, you know, to answer some of your other questions and like the layers that are inherent in the question is that there are so many people who are attracted to these real life criminals like Ted Bundy, Charles Manson. There's so many of them. We can just keep listing them. And it's interesting because sometimes these murderers actually murder their loved ones, their fiancés, their, their wives. And people are still like, hey, let me be your next victim, basically. They're riding into prison and saying, I will be your next love interest. And I think the reason is we have in some ways glorified criminals because there's so much coverage in the media. Sometimes the trials are really public. It's like this big event. Everybody's looking into the courtroom. And so they kind of seem like celebrities in their own right, kind of like a celebrity from a reality TV show, for example. And then I think people look for these tiny little redeeming qualities. Oh, maybe this means that the person can change and I can be the one to change them. Well, if I can be the one to change them, then there must be something special about me. Plus I feel good about myself because I'm doing something good for humanity 
humanity and for him and for all of basically society. So I think that there's that element of it. Now, as a psychologist, I do believe that a number of people who grow up and have these antisocial personality traits can change, but they have to really recognize it in themselves and really have to want it. They have to have that motivation. And unfortunately, there's a small proportion of people who I believe they probably couldn't be changed. And we just need to protect society from them. You know, we do need to keep eyes on them. If they ever get released, they have to be on such a tight probation that they can't be allowed to be let loose and do more havoc. And I think that that's the tough thing to admit in some ways um, as human beings, like, oh man, we really think someone might be not redeemable. And I do think a small proportion of people with antisocial personality traits, they might not be able to be actually treated. You know, this really interests me because I am wondering where season four is going to go for you and beyond because it's like, okay, people are talking about, look, he only killed one person. So it's like some people might be like, maybe he won't kill anyone next season. I'm not in that camp. I think he will continue to kill. (laughs) So without, I don't want to like spoil anything for people who haven't watched yet. So I'm going to keep it vague. But basically in the fourth season, we kind of see that he is moving on from love and he's on his own once again. What do you think? Do you think he'll find someone to team up with again? Or do you think he's back to being solo? Well, I think that actually a lot of people like Joe, they actually operate many times best when they're on their own because they can make all the decisions. So like the other piece of the prediction of, well, sometimes when you team up with somebody, it can kind of one up each other. Well, that's one advantage, but the disadvantage is you have to compromise. You have to cover for one another. And the other person can sometimes become a drag in different ways and, and actually impede in the things that you really want to do. And so if Joe splits and goes away from love for whatever reason, I think think that he'll probably just go back to his own ways. But now he's learned all of these tricks of the trade from his own experience (laughs) and the ones with love. So I think people should watch out. I do not think this is a person who's on a path for reform. I completely agree with you, Dr. Judy. (laughs) We'll just have to see season four. (laughs) Oh my God. No, seriously, this has been so fascinating. Thank you so much for breaking Joe down for us and for joining us today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Come back and join us tomorrow. And remember, Joe from you is a literal murderer. So, you know, maybe please stop thirsting after him. (laughs) Be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you go for your podcasts. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of the biggest stories on BuzzFeed coming to you daily. 
Or maybe you enjoy breaking down X's and O's in the college scouting scene. Do you breathe, sleep, and eat fantasy football? Perhaps you love the funny headlines that emerge each week. What if you want in-depth news coverage with reporters? Or what if you want to know exactly how each team got its name? Well, you're in luck because the NFL Podcast Network has a show for everybody. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.